Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, votes are still being counted in the state superintendent of public instruction race, but we do have a winner. Tony Thurmond beat Marshall Tuck. Thurmond will now have a chance to have an impact on the success or otherwise of California's nearly 10,000 schools and over 6 million public school students. Yes, but it's also Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll focus on thankfulness. We'll hear from an expert about what parents and teachers can do to foster gratitude among their children. But first, to the superintendent's race. We're thankful it's over, and I'm sure Tony Thurmond is thankful too. You know, Marshall Tuck conceded a week ago with about 2 million votes still to be counted. But Thurman had also opened up in really an insurmountable lead of 150,000 votes, and he's kept that lead since. So, Lewis, you know, Tuck was initially the odds-on favorite to win this race. How can you explain Thurman's victory? Well, obviously, John, lots of things went into this. Uh, it was really an uphill challenge that Tony Thurmond faced. He was relatively unknown. I mean, he had been in the assembly for, he was now in his second term, not not really even for four years. He was well known in his district, of course, but not that well known beyond it. Tuck had run against, had run for the same office, in fact, four years ago against uh, the incumbent Tom Torlakson. And he did well, right? Well, he almost, he almost unseated Tom Torlakson, admittedly with the help of a lot of money from very wealthy charter school advocates. Not only that, I mean, he also raised some of his own money, small donors, but the bulk of the money came from independent expenditure committees. Well, it's been a good stock market since, and those billionaires were back again. They were expected to come back to support Tuck, and they did. I mean, over $60 million was spent uh, on both sides, both in direct contributions and money coming through these independent committees. But Thurman, Tony Thurman, was outspent about two to one. So how do you explain it then? Well, I think one of the things Tony Thurman benefited from, I mean, he ran a good campaign. He had some very tough ads that actually linked Marshall Tuck to Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump's agenda, pro-charter agenda. I think that was actually a controversial issue because Marshall Tuck really wasn't endorsed by Betsy DeVos. But the campaign message from... Tony Thurmond and the teachers' union was that a vote for Tuck effectively would be kind of endorsing the DeVos agenda. So I think that must have hurt Marshall Tuck when it came to Democratic voters. And of course, one of the big elements here and the big difference from four years ago is that Donald Trump was elected president two years ago. And that has unleashed this incredible intensity, incredible organizing that actually brought millions of new voters to the polls. Very staunchly Democratic uh, voters, a lot of younger voters. Now, I should mention that this is actually a nonpartisan race. Both Tuck and Thurmond are both Democrats. But in this case, Thurmond was endorsed by the California Democratic Party. He had the endorsements of party leaders Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, a bunch of Democratic mayors, and uh, benefited from that very strong association with the Democratic Party. And I have to say, Marshall Tuck also had support from some Democrats, but not to the extent of Thurmond. Yeah, but when it came down to the final week, Democratic Party had mailers out for who it supported, and Thurmond was one of those, and it had its own get-out-the-vote drive, and that clearly might have made a difference here. Well, I think what it did was help 
push Thurmond over the top. I mean, obviously, lots of things go into a winning campaign. But the fact is, on election day, Thurmond was way behind. I mean, he was well, behind. Thurmond was behind by 86,000 votes. And then there were all these uncounted ballots. Millions of them. Millions of them. And I think the view is that these ballots, it's, it's kind of a shift. In the old days, the mail-in ballots were predominantly from older people, Republicans, very organized. They would send in their mailing ballots. I think the view now is mail-in ballots, the uncounted ballots were for newer and younger voters who may have waited until the last minute to send in their ballots or showed up at the polls wanting to vote and might not have exactly the right papers or forgotten their mail-in ballots at home, and that those were more likely disproportionately to go to Thurman. And so, John, but uh, enough of my thoughts. What do you think the message of the Thurman wind is? I think it's hard to say because for many people, all they heard were TV ads, and many of those were really negative, associating Tuck with DeVos and Trump, and the ads run by the Independent Expenditure Committee against Thurman were really negative and personal. Yeah, John, I think they were pretty outrageous. I mean, they basically blamed Thurman for every problem that West Contra Costa Unified School District had experienced when he was on the board. They linked him to lawsuits, uh, which he really wasn't a party to. I think it was more negative than we've seen in any recent races for school superintendent. What's interesting to me was at his first press conference in Sacramento, Tony Thurman was asked, what's the message of the campaign? And to him, he said it really wasn't a referendum about charters versus traditional schools. It really wasn't per se billionaires versus the CTA. He said that billionaires were determined to buy this race and by the commercials that they ran, they showed they'd stop at nothing to win. And it didn't matter, I'm quoting what he said, it didn't matter that they talked about supporting districts that serve low-income kids and people of color. It did not matter that they could run over a man of color who based his career solely on serving those kids because they were going to stop at nothing to win. It was really personal. He's very angry and bitter about the negative ads that were run against him. And in his statement, he said, I'm going to be the superintendent for all students. Nonetheless, and I'm sure he's going to be, and that includes charter school students too, but he's still, I'm sure, angry about the campaign that was run against him. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how the politics of this unfolds, what's going to happen with charter schools, because, I mean, the fact is charter school advocates did put a lot of money into the race of Antonio Viragosa, who ran against Newsom in the spring in the primary, and it just did terribly in that race. I mean, it was a big, big defeat for charter school advocates. And then, of course, they lost the Tuck race by a much smaller margin. I mean, Tuck put up a pretty good showing, but still two defeats for charter school advocates and some bad feelings there, some hard feelings. Right. Nonetheless, you know, the next day, Thurman showed, hey, he's ready to get going. He's already named his chief deputy superintendent after he uh, begins office, and she is Lupita Cortez Acala. She's head of the California Student Aid Commission and very well respected in that position. So he sh you know, he's getting ready to take over. And interesting, a diverse team. <laughs> I mean, we have uh, the first African-American school superintendent since Wilson Riles was, uh, was voted out of office in 1982 by Bill Honig and uh, Latina as his uh, chief deputy. So, uh, so and, and, you know, this is a team that reflects much more the, the student population of California than any leadership we've had at the California Department of Education. Yeah, very telling signal. 
Let's switch from politics and talk about what's really important, being thankful. Up next, how to foster gratitude in children. We're pleased to have on the line Mariam Abdullah. She's a developmental psychologist and the parenting program director at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. It's a center that studies the science behind positive emotions and well-being. EdSource's producer, Shuka Kalantari, spoke with Mariam earlier this week about raising a grateful child and the benefits of doing so. So what does the science say? What are the benefits of raising a grateful child? Well, it's good news. There are a lot of benefits to prioritizing gratitude in our parenting and better physical health, better social emotional well-being. Kids that are more grateful are happier. They're more satisfied with their lives, with their friends, with their families, with their neighborhoods. They're more hopeful and they're more engaged in their hobbies. On the academic front, they have higher GPAs. They're more engaged in their schoolwork, and they're more satisfied with their schools. So lots of benefits all around. Speaking of schools, a lot of schools around the country are incorporating things like gratitude and empathy and compassion into their daily routine. Why do you think that's so? What are some of the benefits of it? I think that schools are really prioritizing practices like gratitude and cultivating gratitude in their kids because they see the important benefits that how those practices help their children feel more connected with others, with their teachers, feel more connected in their schools, being more open to new experiences like being engaged in school. So I think there's the science behind it that's very compelling that schools are paying attention to. This Thanksgiving weekend, people sit around the table and say what they're thankful for. Some people do. But how do you incorporate being thankful during the whole Thanksgiving weekend amidst all the excess of food and drinking and family. I think that there is this pressure that parents start to feel around Thanksgiving that they have to teach their kids some really big gratitude lessons. And I would say for parents, think about it every day, not just during these seasons where you might feel this excessive pressure. And think about what the family gathering really means for your child being able to share stories about potentially you know families that are immigrants overcoming challenges and that's true for families that aren't immigrants too steering away from binging on on shopping after thanksgiving feeling that you can prioritize what's truly valuable for your family i think that's what thanksgiving uh, gives an opportunity for more than just black friday Right. More than just Black Friday deals. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe uh, skip that big screen TV sale that, that you've been eyeing and spend some time together. Really connect. Uh, maybe take a hike in, in the woods or in your neighborhood or go participate in some kind of community event where you're helping other people. It's a valuable opportunity for kids to see that, that that's what their family is prioritizing during this holiday. You mentioned that being grateful shouldn't just be something that parents teach their children on Thanksgiving. It should be year-round. What are a few helpful tips for parents and for educators who are listening who want to foster gratitude in their children and students on a daily basis? There's a new study that came out last year about 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in public schools in Miami who did gratitude meditations. And they did this for about 
a month, there were 10 sessions and there were 15 minutes each where they were able to engage in a regular gratitude meditation. And they found that the kids who did these gratitude meditations were more satisfied with their lives and with their schools. They were happier, more engaged with school, and of course, more grateful. So I think that's something that I think teens can help foster on their own, being able to learn about gratitude meditations and being able to practice that on a regular basis. So are there any other tips for parents and educators on how to raise a grateful child? Yeah, we have a practice on our Greater Good in Action website called Three Good Things. And this can be something that parents, educators, coaches, any adult that is in a a kid's life uh, can use to help foster gratitude in kids. With Three Good Things, it's really a priority of noticing the wonderful gifts in your life each day. Parents and adults, like teachers, can guide their children or students to think about three good things that happened each day. These could be happy moments, uh, moments they were grateful for, so things like something that they did for somebody else to help them out, or even feeling like they accomplished something difficult that they felt frustrated by initially, that they were able to stick with and persevere. So a key part of this practice is to really think about how did they contribute to making that a good thing in their life. So this can be something that they do at the dinner table, right before bed, or maybe even just as you're commuting, driving back home from school. Or for teachers, it could be the way that they end the day. So that would be another way that parents and educators could help foster gratitude in their kids. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. That was Mariam Abdullah from UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. You know, there's a lot of talk about educating the whole child in an abstract sense. This is what they're talking about. And John, before we go, I think we do have to take note of all the children, parents, teachers, and others who are still feeling the effects of the terrible fires up north and uh, to a lesser extent down south. But uh, it's just been a terrible, terrible week, a couple of weeks for California in that regard. It has been, and can't imagine how the anguish that some of the folks are going through over the holiday season. You know, there's a lot of ways that people can give, and they should give, to help people up there. And for our listeners in particular, we might think about the teachers and the administrators of Paradise Unified, The teachers have put together a GoFundMe page where people can donate, and next week there'll be a list specifically of things they're looking for. It's a GoFundMe page by the Paradise Teachers, and we will put the exact link for people to turn to on our podcast website. That just about wraps it up for this week in California education. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Our producer is Shuka Kalatari. Thanks, Shuka, again for that interview. And our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and also from Ed Source's own Justin Allen. If you like what you hear, write us a review on iTunes. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.